You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Polar Pro. As a team of designers who intend to promote creator freedom for storytellers everywhere, Polar Pro has recently engineered a brand new product into their flagship lineup. They are a company who specializes in everything filter-related and decided to bring their expertise into innovating a new landscape filter system called Summit. Summit is intended for professional landscape photographers who not only want to maintain their professional prowess, but also improve and grow their creative capabilities. When using this advanced filter system, it works to enable precision light control capabilities for landscape, fine art, and long exposure photographers. The summit, meaning the highest point on a mountain, is for those photographers who consider themselves a grade above the rest. With the help of Polar Pro's new landscape filter system, you can bring your content to that same level of quality. So check it out today over at polarpro.com. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and joining me as co-host is my friend Brent Bergherm. What's up, Brent? Hey, how's it going? Things are going well? Good. Yeah, they are for me. Uh, I'm, I am I kind of like the, the fall season and the winter. Uh, I like it cooling down. It's kind of nice for me. It's yeah, I am definitely looking forward to shooting this winter because one thing I've been working on is reviewing my images from 2019, you know, just kind of trying to get ready for that. What's the best of kind of an idea? Oh, yeah. Uh, this is quite literally the first time I've done that and on an annual basis or, you know, looking back for the whole year. And I've got so much snow and ice and stuff like that. And because I shot so much at the beginning of the year. Uh, it's just kind of bringing back, like getting getting kind of jazzed up for doing some stuff like that again. So, uh, looking forward to that and Very seeing cool. how that can go for me. Yeah, yeah, we'll I'll, I'll, we'll be talking about that a little bit more here to, uh, in December. We'll do an yeah. episode talking about uh, year end reviews, and I've been a huge proponent of that for a long time now. So that that's a, a big part of how I make sure I'm improving year over year. Yeah. It's fun. So uh, yeah, I've just started the process and trying to make time to complete the process because i'm also going to make them all prints so it's just going to be ah. a huge uh huge ordeal for me there you go but i'm man i'm just so looking forward to it so of course knowing brent prints have to enter into the equation <laughs> ah yes yes <laughs> all right hey before we get into the episode here and the and we're going to do a q a today and we're going to answer some listener questions that came from our facebook group but before we get into that i just want to remind everyone we're going to keep the listener survey open a couple more weeks we want to really want to get as many people to help us with this question as possible it is a single question survey so not like other listener surveys where it may be you know lots of questions and take a lot of time you can click the link and be done in like 30 seconds all we want to know is what post-processing software do you primarily use to edit your photos. And this is not a survey where you need to tell us that you hate Adobe and why it is that you switched over to something else. Just tell us the something <laughs> else that you use so that the, the numbers can be meaningful. We have tons of responses now where it's commentary like that, that <laughs> they say why it is they don't want Adobe. And that just means that your vote pretty much doesn't count because it's not going to be a specific editing program. It's all this commentary. So keep it just to answering the question. Just tell us which one you primarily use. 
Uh, we only have like less than 1% of you listening who have gone and done the listener survey. So it would really help us out. And it, it will be interesting information for everybody if we can get a lot more of you to go and click on the link in the show notes. It's a, just a very simple Google Docs survey question thing. It's, it's super easy. So if you would, just take a couple minutes and click on that link and go answer the question. That would really help us out. All right, we're going to talk through, I've selected seven questions. We asked for questions a little bit earlier as we record in this week, and um, and we asked listeners for, for what questions they had that, to have us answer, and we're going to get into those before we do the Facebook group, just to, to quickly mention that. I know there's so many that hate using Facebook right now, and, and I get it. I understand why. Uh, it's really come down to like the reason I use Facebook is for the Facebook group. <laughs> so, so maybe consider that, like create yourself a login where the only reason you ever get on is to go be part of the master photography group. Um, that would be, it, it's nice. It's, it's a nice, safe, good community there. We do as good a job as we can of, uh, of protecting everybody and, and, you know, kicking out the, the people that are, are negative and, uh, and keeping things uh, good. You do have to answer a question to get in there. So it's a name of a host. So Jeff or Brent will work or anyone else who's been on the show, even within the last like year or so, if you can name somebody who's been on the show, then we'll, we'll let you right in. We just want to make sure listeners are in that group. So here we go. Let's start into our questions. The first one is a question about meetups and the Create Photography Retreat. Both come from Chad Foster. And his first question, is there any chance you all will set up the photography meetups again, like when you were under the Improve umbrella, that where Jim would have a meetup or a workshop every so often? And then a follow-up question he had a little bit later was, any new info on when the next Create Photography Retreat will be and where? All right. So for the first part of that question, meetups. Uh, Brent, you've done some meetups, haven't you? I've done some. I would characterize them as small meetups because yeah. like, when I go to a conference for work or something like that, I'll often make an announcement and say, hey, I'm going to be there. And if anyone can come out, that would be great. And also last February, I did one up in Banff. Uh, That's where some of my ice photography uh, was coming in. I was just mentioning. So I've done some, but my goodness, I would certainly love to do more. And I, I was thinking about this quite a bit. And, you know, each of us on the group, uh, you know, with, I, I can't necessarily speak for anyone else, but each of us do have uh, our full-time jobs that are incorporated into our lives too. And boy, howdy, how, how I would wish or I would love to be able to uh, make this kind of thing my full-time gig. And then meetups would be a lot more common a lot more possible is probably the best way to put it so uh occasionally yes i do them like you know i have another conference coming up in san diego in january but i can't do a meetup because things are just too packed in so uh we're we're out on that one right yep i would love to do them as well i would love to be able to go out there and do some meetups that was an advantage that jim had that his business was doing improve photography and the podcast and that was his full-time thing so uh so he had that ability to be able to kind of utilize his time in that way and get out there and and be with people and that would be so much fun to do none of us on the on the master photography team since we switched all of that up are in that situation so so we don't have regular meetups that we are are working on organizing but the create photography retreat is a different story 
So that's that is time that I set aside every year to go and and uh, meet with and and be with listeners of the podcast and others. There's it's not just uh, master photography podcast listeners who are part of that retreat. It is a, a conference of sorts, and I'm I'm really glad that Chad asked this question just because uh, we actually had the Create Photography Retreat is is run by Brian Hansen and and his wife, and they just recently sent out alumni registration emails. So if you've been involved in the retreat in the past, you should have an email in your inbox that talks a little bit about it, that alumni registration is open, and uh, and you can go uh, go register for that. And, and I, they had some information on uh, shoots and, and models and stuff like that that's going to be at the retreat that we always have there. So just to give you a, a little information, we have tons of new listeners to the, the podcast here who may never have heard of this before. It is an annual event that we've done for, for three years now, and this will be the fourth. And, uh, and we go into in different locations throughout the U.S., it has been just the U.S. thus far. There's been a lot of, of requests to have the conference over uh, international someplace, but so far it's just been within the U.S. This year, it's well, in 2020, that's the next time it's, we're going to have it, it's in, the, uh, in Greenville, South Carolina, and it's, the dates will be October 15th to 17th, so just a little under a year from this podcast episode. You have plenty of time then to prepare to get there. <laughs> <laughs> and and make arrangements, take time off, or or tell uh, you, you know it's a good time to talk about it now with Christmas coming up. You could tell loved ones, friends, like for Christmas if they want to get you something, they can help you get to this retreat, and uh, and it's really super fun. So you can also go and and check out some things over at the website. It's createphotographyretreat.com. And uh, there's information. I, I think uh, even if you're not an alumni, you can still register for the event. Uh, you just the alumni get a little bit of a, a special deal as uh, to to go. So anyway, that's uh that's something that that's very worth looking into. Uh, we'd love to have you there. I am planning to be there at this point, and uh, it, it's a pretty pretty firm thing. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I will be there. Brent, are you are you going to be able to be there? I really am going to try and make it, but I've said that in the past. And this, the problem, this is uh, happening right after school starts for me, gotcha. and for me to take away early in the uh, in the school year. You know, if it was like in in January, I'm going to a conference the week after school starts up again. But it's it's just not the same as when it's the start of the school year. Uh, <clears throat> excuse yeah. me. Uh, however, I do I do get one sanctioned conference uh, per year. And I'm thinking of trying to make this one my sanctioned conference from the institution. So uh-huh. uh, we'll see what happens there. There's certainly no promises, but man, and I didn't wasn't able to make it last year because uh, same kind of idea. But yeah. uh, hopefully, I'm crossing my fingers. Excellent. Hopefully, hopefully it can happen. Okay. Yep. So go go check it out. CreatePhotographyRetreat.com. It's really really fun. And I I've done some podcast episodes on this actually in the past, so you can go check that over over a Photo Taco podcast. I talked about. The, the retreat and the impact it's had on me, uh, it really has helped me as a photographer. But I, I love being there, too, to, as, a, as a presenter and, and talking with people and, and helping them to learn a little bit about photography. It's so much fun. It, there were lots of times, especially this last event, um, the last time, that uh, it was in Las Vegas. And I, I loved helping people uh, learn how to use Flash a little bit. 
we went through like we had a bunch of equipment there and people that didn't in, they just borrowed it and uh and we we got to help them get some shots they have never had before and i love that big smile that comes on a photographer's oh, yeah. face the <laughs> first time they get a, a shot that they've never had before and uh and they get hooked and and it's fun it's really really fun to to see that so uh really can encourage you to consider it coming to that create photography retreat it's a good place to be able to come and meet us if you want to and we hope you do all right question number two we have a listener that's got 500 bucks burning a hole in their pocket (laughs) and they wanted to know how would we recommend that they they spend those 500 dollars? so this comes from paul pack he says hey jeff as you know i've been a longtime fan of you and all the other hosts thank you paul And uh, you said, thanks again for all you guys do. I've taken your advice and only invested in training the past couple of years, but I have a $500 gift card to a local camera shop I'm itching to use. He's in fear that the local camera shop might go out of business. Probably a pretty legitimate concern. (laughs) They they struggle and I feel for them. I sure wish that there was a good way to, to make sure that they could stay in business. And this, I guess, is one of them. Anyway, he said, I have a Canon 5D Mark III. I have a 2.8, uh, 24 by 24 to 70 uh, f 2.8 lens and a 70 to 200. The way you put it in there was a little backwards from how I normally say it. So 70 to 200 f 2.8 lens. So he's got two really solid lenses there. He's got Lightroom, a tripod, a Peak Design bag and strap, color calibrator, flash, and MagMod gear. So pretty good kit, pretty uh, pretty good setup there. He says, any suggestions on how to use my gift card? I shoot portraits as an amateur, so thought I might purchase a Canon 85 1.8 since it's a good lens for its value and I don't have any other primes. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. All right, so we don't know what camera store it is. We don't know what they offer, but Brent, just with all of it being kind of opened up and something that where, where anything is game and you have 500 bucks, given the kit that Paul said he has, where would you go with the $500? Well, it's really hard to steer him in another direction because with the idea that he shoots portraits, the only other thing I might suggest he consider is maybe a slightly longer lens because that 85 1.8 is definitely going to be a beautiful portrait lens. But if you were to get something like a 100 millimeter, that can also work super well. So it's just, you know, it's kind of like going to be between these two. And the 85 F1.8, that is not a heavy lens either. It's right, it's right. fairly compact for what it is. You know, it's not like it's the 85 F1.2 or something like that, which is a mega beast of a lens. So I, I say this is probably a good direction to go. And the only thing I would scratch my head over is should he go 100 millimeters? But uh, as far as all of the, you know, other things, he's, you know, he's got MagMod gear. Maybe there's a different light modifier to use on that because your 70 to 200 is also fantastic for shooting portraits. So I guess light modifiers might be a good thing. But man, you can get a lot of light modifiers for 500 bucks. (laughs) Right. $500 would go quite a ways with light modifiers for sure. Yeah, I I agree that the 85 is a fantastic lens. That is a beautiful, beautiful lens. If you've never shot with that lens and you're a Canon owner, rent it once just to, to play with it. It is fabulous. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's very, very good. So yeah, you wouldn't go wrong with that either. The other thing, the other reason I might say you could consider it, and again, it would be great with the 85. That's, it's fabulous. He'd be super thrilled, I think, in, in the, 
the image quality he can get out of the 85 as compared to the 7200. I, I know photographers are like, well, I'm already covering that range. I have a 70 to 200, so the 85 is in that range. And if I want the 85 look, I just go to 85 on that focal length on that lens. It's not the same. No, it's, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it is not the same as the Prime. It's, it is different. It is a very different quality. And those 85s are beautiful, beautiful lenses that have a sharpness to them. Like primes just have an advantage over zooms. That's that's how it is, and and it's it's pretty clear when you use it. It's really really fun. Um, again, I, I might say that the one hundred is just a, an option to consider. Yeah, it's it's not a huge push. I, no, no, no. I can see the eighty five still making more sense. And even if you stop right. down the eighty five to, to that match the f two eight on your seventy two hundred, it's still going to look a little bit different and it's still going to have a unique quality to it. Yeah, for sure. The the other reason though why the 100, uh, especially if you get one that's macro. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Yep, because <laughs> Which makes no sense for a portrait shooter, but No, 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 but well it it could because you yeah. could dive into the macro world just a little. Like it's it's it just helps you learn when you do that. It, it when you can go into any other genre of photography and dip your toe in and try it out it helps you learn. And, Absolutely. And I, I've recently done that, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that at the end of the show with my my pick of my due dates of the week. But uh, but macro is super fun. And even though you're a portrait photographer, uh, you can practice and learn a lot of things by just trying macro a little bit and really get some unique kinds of photos. It's really fun. It's it's just addicting, and maybe that's the thing is I've tried it now, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I really want to do this a lot more. This is really fun. But uh, but that might be the, another thing to look at, just an investment for the the five hundred bucks to be able to uh, to get one of those lenses and and have an option to do more than you could with the eighty five. So yeah, I'm thinking you know macros of eyeballs even that can be oh, very yeah. interesting. Yeah. And you just without attachments you can't do that with the eighty five, but you could do it with one hundred macro. That could be also quite intriguing. Yeah, super fun. All right, question number three, gear acquisition syndrome here, which so many of us suffer with, <laughs> suffer from. Uh, if you haven't heard of that, that before, those fra- that phrase, gear acquisition syndrome, where a lot of people just uh, use the, the acronym GAS, this is the constant thing that like you know, marketing wants us to have. <laughs> oh, yeah. Camera companies, the marketers, their job is to make us feel like Whatever equipment we're using is not good enough because there's new stuff. They've come out with new things, and it's way better. And that old stuff is garbage now, and you, you need the new stuff. You've got to have it, or your images will not be as good. And uh, so there's there's constant marketing. There's advertising on podcasts and other media outlets, and every always this pressure to go and buy new gear to improve your photography and and, and get better. And uh, Leo, uh, I'm going to butcher the last name, Leo Pavaglio, oh my gosh. Pavaglio is how I, Pavaglio? Okay. I had more time to work it out in my mind (laughs) than you did. (laughs) I've read it several times, but until you're like recording a podcast and you're like, oh, now I have to say it. I I haven't actually tried to say it. Okay, so Leo, so sorry. (laughs) We, We butchered your name. And anyway, uh, he says, I suffer from GM. He called it gear, get more stuff syndrome. More commonly, we all call it gear acquisition syndrome. But uh, And he said, there was a time when I had one camera and one lens, and I could have it with me all the time, 
And I did. I actually took my camera everywhere I went. As my GMS or gas became more severe, I found that I had so much stuff, I had to make two or three trips to get everything out into the car because I would hate to be without all of my stuff. The results are that the camera stays home too often because it's now become a pain to get his camera equipment into the car and he feels terrible not having it all with him. Would you discuss the kit you take with you when you head out the door to take the kids to soccer practice or on a trip to the dentist or grocery store? What photography equipment do you use? Do you have with you all the time? All right. So Brent, I want to turn this over to you first and then I'll talk about my own experience here. When you're leaving and it's not a massive trip, this isn't like one of your big travel excursions, or maybe yeah. that still applies, but you're, you want to make sure you're prepared to take some pictures, especially the kids. If you have kids involved in stuff, what are you taking with you? Yes. These days I'm taking the Sony a6400 uh-huh. and the 18 to 135 lens and a battery. And that's pretty much it. Uh-huh. So it's, it's a nice light and beautiful camera. It's got lo- loads of flexibility with that lens. It's a very you know, somewhat sort of wide to somewhat sort of telephoto. And so it's a nice all around walk around lens. Uh, but he, he mentions specifically, you know, like your trip to the dentist or grocery store. I have to tell you, I don't take that camera. (laughs) Nor do I. (laughs) When I'm going out, it's not like it's always in the glove box of my car. Right. And so this is when, if I want to go out and have just that quote, different experience or what have you, then I'll, be glad to just take this camera and I know it works really well. For instance, when I went to a conference last year in April, that was the only thing I took to San Francisco with me and I got some decent images. It was just great to have something that was such a tiny little kit. I didn't have to worry about it and it was very easy to tote along and it was it was definitely liberating and it was really nice to to do that. So uh, something like that and and now when I go on a bigger trip, uh, or doing other stuff, it's my video camera for my YouTube videos. So uh, it's really nice and, and easy to, again, just add that to my bag and and tow it along. I now have the um, what is the seventy to three fifty. So I have some significant zoom now. I actually have yet to shoot it. I just got it uh, late last week, so I actually have yet to shoot that lens. But uh, looking at building out this kit just a little bit. Uh, so, so I can make it more of my standard. But yeah, when it's time to, to eliminate and, and go minimal, uh, just that one camera and that one body. Oh, that sounds fun. I would so love to be able to get an A6400. That would be, that would be super fun for me to have that and, and take it with me a little more often. Because I, yeah. I kind of feel exactly what Leo does here. Like, I, I have good camera gear that can do an excellent job. And even like the hikes, we, my wife and I go hiking. We, we live in the foothills of mountains here. So we have trails literally in our backyard to go, oh, to go and, and be able to go and hike. And it's super fun. We, we, it's an activity we both love doing. Now, it's getting cold enough and, and going to be snowy enough here soon that we won't be doing a whole lot of that. Well, actually, we'll, we will put on some snowshoes. Once there's enough snow, we'll go out and do that. But um, anyway, that it, it's, it's right there. We go do it very regularly. and. I always have this debate, just like Leo's talking about, like, okay, should I get my backpack and get a, a body and a lens or two and, and go? And my, my stuff is definitely heavy enough. I, de- I need the backpack to be able to go with it. Yeah. There's no way I'm, like, 
holding that in my hands or around my neck or something like that the whole time that we're hiking. That's just not going to happen. And it won't fit in like a fanny pack. It's not compact enough for that. So I, yeah, most of the time I, I leave my stuff at home and I just, I know I'm going to use my phone if there's right. something worth taking a picture of. And, and that's fine. Cause mostly it's just, you know, memories, the wife and I being out and in, in, in doing things together and we just want to capture a photo of us. So that's fine for that more than fine. It's they, the, the camera phones do really, the, the cameras on smartphones, I should say, do so well that that's great. Now, if I'm headed to a soccer game, uh, which I do have children that play soccer and we go to their game, their, their matches a lot, um, I, I take my camera and my 70 to 200 lens. And, uh, and then I, I have the zoom, the reach that I need to be able to, to get some really fun photos. And I even go sit on the sidelines. Nobody cares. This is not like uh, high school or <laughs> it's, it's a competition team, but the refs and, and everybody, nobody cares that a parent's like sitting on the sideline uh, by the goals to take pictures. And so, so I go do that, sit there and, and it's really fun. I enjoy it a lot, but I, I know that I need the shutter speed. I need the reach and a camera, a smartphone. They're getting way, way better. It's just not the same for something like yeah. a soccer game. So, sure. so I, I will definitely grab that. If I'm going on a bigger trip, I'm the same though. I, I really don't want to leave much behind. And it's because there's so many areas I'm interested in. If I had an opportunity to shoot Astro, I want to be ready to shoot Astro. If I have an opportunity to shoot Sunrise Sunset, I want to be ready to be able to do that. And and uh, I, I want to make sure I do it. Now, I, I won't bring all my flashes with me all the time, but we went on a family vacation a few weeks ago, and, and I took most of my gear with me, and, and we, we had some fun, fun photos that we were able to get. And uh, I like being able to be prepared. And we drove, so it wasn't a big deal to just throw the, the camera bag into the back of the car and, and have it there and be an option. But uh, totally get you with the gear, the gear acquisition syndrome and, and kind of piggybacking on what was said uh, just uh, by Paul a, a little bit earlier. This is what I want you to do. I want you to resist that urge. Resist all that marketing that you're constantly facing for buying new gear. And we're going to not help with that in just a second. But, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but resist, resist it and uh, spend it, invest in yourself and on training and on workshops because that's going to help you. It it will truly help you to get further down that path of mastering your photography better than the new gear. It just it will. The new gear is nice. It's fun to have. I love it like everyone else does. But investing in your education and and uh, getting better tips of, of how to use the gear you have, how to truly leverage and get everything out of the gear you've already got is a much better investment than spending a bunch of money on new gear. Uh, I've seen tons of photographers that stay about the same who are constantly buying new equipment. And it's because it's the easy button. It's way easier for a lot of people to say, I, I got money. I can spend the money. I don't have the time. I don't have. I, I don't want to go and arrange to to do training. And so they're they're really hoping that that's the magic the magic bullet and the easy button. And, and, and if I buy the new camera, it's going to be better. When in reality, because they don't know how to really use the new camera to its full capacity, it's not making them any better. It's just spending money on the new thing. So not that you can't, it won't get a little better. It can for sure. The new stuff has better stuff. That's why it's new. Um, but 
but go, you know, just consider that. Consider that a lot, and in, in as you go make your investment training so, stuff like that. So I've I've got a, a different as you've been saying that I've got a different perspective right. uh, slightly that I, that I want to mention out throughout there too, and that is definitely go with that training. Everything Jeff just said, yes, I, I will absolutely rubber stamp that one hundred percent. I I agree, but let's let's take a look at it this way too. Also, you said Jeff, you know, when you're going out, you on a big trip, you definitely want to take it all there. There is something to the the liberating factor of your limitations. For sure. And I've had several people on my Latitude show where we're talking about limitations. And these are probably a couple months ago now, but still they, the limitations that you put yourself under effectively, it forces you to be creative within those limitations and you can experience new things. And so it does have a, a mind shift for you and it's, it's a nice it's, it's a nice experience. I believe it's a nice experience to have. But let's go back to this gear buying business. What I would challenge Leo and other folks that are in this type of situation is if you are intrigued and you do push that easy button, I want to challenge you to say, okay, let this be the only thing you shoot for the next five shoots. Sure, sure. Because you're then going to say, I don't need that other stuff. This is what I want to focus on. And this is, for some reason, I was intrigued by this gear because I thought it would do this for me in my photography. Well, is it really going to do that? You need probably five shoots to really strengthen that and really find that out. So be challenged for yourself to say, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and buy this, but I'm also committing myself to only using this piece for at least a period of time. Only then, you know, you'll be able to then tell you yourself, yeah, this was a good decision or nope, this was a bad decision. And you'll experience the liberation you have from those limitations you put yourself under as well. Absolutely. Yeah, constraining yourself to do something different. And that's, that's kind of what I was encouraging with the macro. You know, it, right. it, trying something new, trying something different, it helps you learn how to improve. And yeah. it, it's just amazing. I know it doesn't seem like this, especially if you've never tried this. If you've never gone and done a genre of photography that you don't shoot or, or particularly enjoy, uh, stretching out and forcing yourself to look into it, you learn things and it will help you be better in the genre that you do want to be able to learn and do well. So uh, you, if you're not learning, you're declining, <laughs> I think. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so so if you're, not, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse and uh, you, you're going to let others pass you by. You're, you're not alone in your market. Someone else is, is competing against you. And if you're not learning, you're not staying up with them. So uh, the the training is is just a huge part of this, and makes it makes it all better. All right, uh, question four here: an app for planning astro shoots. Chris True asked, "What astrophotography locator apps do you recommend?" He's not sure what to call them, and that, that I think well. Hopefully, I'm connecting with you here, Chris, on what you're asking. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I think so. Um, he says, I'm referring to something like photo pills. I found them difficult to break into, and thanks for, for asking. And so, uh, yeah, Chris, photo pills is absolutely the one that I would use if you are trying to plan a photo shoot around an astrological event. If there's like sunrise, if there's moonrise, if there's Milky Way, if you want to include some kind of event like that, even like Eclipse, they've done a really good job of implementing stuff in there so that you can plan your shoot around an Eclipse uh, way in advance. Once you, you have an Eclipse trip that you're planning, aren't you, Brent? 
I, I am in the middle of planning a trip to Chile in December 2020, and uh, it's it's still ongoing. But yes, the the polar or the <laughs> whoops the photo pills apps uh, app will do a fantastic job. When we had the Great American Eclipse a couple years ago, it it just helped me line up my shot perfectly uh, with that one I got of. Uh, a, a marble obelisk in, in the pointing right at the eclipse when it was at 97% totality is what we got here in Walla Walla. So right. uh, yeah, it helped line it up perfectly with their augmented reality and it, it's just beautiful. It is a little more, as he said, how do you put it? Uh, finding them difficult to break into. There is a learning curve with it. Absolutely. absolutely. It's, it's all right. It, it does a, a it does everything it seems. It, and it'll even do calculations for depth of field and, Oh yeah, all sorts of other things. You know, the circle of confusion, mumbo jumbo that we can get all confused about. So, uh, it, it has a plethora of information available to you uh, in that app, and it's so, just so beautiful. Even just tracking where the sun is going to rise. You know, you have an overview map of where you are, so long as you have cell service, of course. You have this overview map of where you are, and it'll tell you precisely which direction the sun is going to come up from. Right, and it's just it's just amazing. Uh, then you dive in more uh, intently with the augmented reality and you can then line it up with in a couple of degrees of accuracy, I would say, but you can line it up with whatever subject you have in the foreground. It's just, it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So what, what you don't want to do is hear this and say, Oh, photo pills is the app I need download it and then head out for the shoot. No, 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 it's not going to nope. work out well for you because the app is, it's hard enough to figure out how to use it that, Trying to do it on the fly out in the field as you're gonna, as you're about ready to shoot and you only have a few minutes that's not going to go well. It's it's as user friendly as I think they can make it, and they keep trying to fine tune it a little bit and 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 have the UI be something that makes a little more sense. But you're talking about some fairly complicated things here. <laughs> this yeah. is not simple simple stuff, and they've done as good a job as I have seen. I've tried a whole bunch of these now. They've done as good a job as I as I can as I have seen to make it as simple as possible. But it still is kind of like you said, difficult to break into. It's hard to to figure out exactly how to use the app. Uh, so you definitely want to spend a little time with the app before your shoot. And you, it, the, that's the nice thing. Like Brent's got this, the, the eclipse is happening in, uh, down there in, in Chile in 2020. It's December. It's a whole year from now. That's, yeah. That's a perfect way to be able to figure out how to use this app and try it out a few times before then try it out with the moon or try it out with, with some other astrological things so that you can figure out how to use the tool and and get the most out of it. And there's a whole bunch more than just the ad- astrological that are in photo pills that are very worth having and I use very regularly. Like you said, with the focal length calculators or sorry, the, the focal distance calculators and and uh, and stuff like that. It's it's really, really fun. I, I am in the photo pills probably three or four times a week as I use it with my photography. But it's because I've spent the time to figure out how to use it. Uh, I also did a podcast. It's a little dated at this point. So it's it might not be as helpful as it was when I first released it. But over at Photo Taco Podcast, I do have one where I walk through the photo pills, at least the pills that were available at the time. I think they've added some or renamed some since I did that episode. But you should go check that out. Go over to phototacopodcast.com. Just uh, put in the search bar photo pills and you'll find the episode. And I walk through what it is. Um, I I had intentions of trying to create more training about how to use photo pills, and but my sense was there weren't that many people interested. So if you if you're hearing this and you were actually interested 
in having a lot more training on photo pills and how to use it and incorporate it into all kinds of like even planning a portrait session to know exactly when sunrise sunsets or you know when the golden hour is and where the sun's going to be so that you can plan where to have your models as you're doing the portrait shoot I've used it for that a lot and it's really helpful to be able to say like working with the client to be able to say okay we got to be at this place at this time then we'll have enough time to get my gear set up and get you uh, in the right position and we're going to be able to have like the sun beautifully behind you and I'll have the flash and it, it just is really fun to, and, and a huge advantage in being able to plan things instead of guessing because you know the the sunrise sunset times that you get from like even the local news something like that that's a it's so generic and basic it it doesn't consider exactly where you are and this will or it can. So yes. uh, so really, really helpful to be able to figure it out. If that interests you, if you would really love for us to do a full episode and talk way more about photo pills as an app, then please let us know. You can comment in the Facebook group. You can comment on this episode and say, I vote that you do more with photo pills. And, and uh, you know, let us hear that, that you're interested. I kind of shied away just because I didn't think there was that much interest in doing anything more there. But uh, Chris, for which app I would use, absolutely PhotoPills. I have not seen anything better. The next closest is something called Photographer's Emeritus. Or not? Ephemeris. Ephemeris, sorry. Emeritus is a different <laughs> word. Ephemeris. I knew it was wrong as soon as I said it. It is way harder to use and not nearly as helpful in my opinion. I've I've tried to use it. It's, it is definitely possible to get kind of similar information it is much more difficult, and and there's not nearly as much tooling in there to help you with it. So, um, that that's how I think about it. You, you think any differently, Brent? No, I I really like the photo pills idea, and they have created some really good documentation for shooting the it, sun, the moon, etc. Yep. So, uh, and they tie it in, of course, to their app. So, certainly look at their website and go look at, at seeing what you can find to download some of those uh, PDF guides. When I uh, downloaded the PDF guide for shooting the eclipse, it was something like, I don't want to say 80 pages right, or 60 right. pages. It was so in-depth. I was like, holy moly, this is great. So it's uh, they do a good job at uh, producing these training guides uh, for using the app as well. Photographers emeritus. I'm still like, how did I say emeritus? <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> uh, that is not what that means. Yeah, uh, yeah that's totally different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next question. How to do a self-portrait? This is from Han <clears throat> Hans Henrik Andersen. Sounds like a famous author. I don't know. Isn't that? Yeah, that's awesome. I don't know. Anyway, he says, uh, how, how would you take the best self-portrait? Brent, have you tried to take a self-portrait recently? Oh, not, not too recently, but I remember doing a few things uh, a while back and... Quite frankly, one of the best self-portraits that I actually liked was I, I held the camera at around my belly height, you know, uh, and, and and it was a low sun angle and I was casting a nice shadow and I just liked that shadow. And so I took a picture of it. And so you might not think of that's the self-portrait that uh, Hans Henrik is looking for, but that was one of the best ones that I liked uh, quite possibly because, you know, I, I don't really shoot a whole lot of portrait. I mean, I teach it at the university, but I don't really shoot a whole lot in my free time, as it were. Uh, otherwise, you know, I use like an app on my camera when I'm trying to do family portraits because I have to be in the picture as well. 
and I'll line everything up on the camera and then I'll tap the button on my phone and uh, when I'm in the picture and that does wonders for getting uh, myself in the picture as well though. Okay, so if if he's talking about using a, a camera and not a phone, I'm going to assume that. Yeah. And because he wants a, a nice, high-quality self-portrait for maybe, you know, social media profiles or LinkedIn profiles or whatever you might need your, your uh, portrait for. Um, he, I do this a lot. And, and not because I need new portraits all the time of myself. I don't really like my portraits. But... It's because I use myself as a model for testing my lighting and <laughs> oh, sure. all the time. That makes sense. Um, so that I'm ready when a client comes over. So I, I talked about this before. I, I have a little space in my basement where I have a, kind of a, a DIY studio set up. And mostly it can come up and come down. We've recently kind of dedicated the space a little bit more. So I'm, I'm leaving the stuff up now, which is nice. I, I really liked that, that we, we've kind of done that. It's not... Is, it's not ideal uh it's a little too small but it's it it works so i'm I'm excited about that that i don't have to take stuff up and down but anyway um because i was taking it up and down it meant i needed to like calibrate everything every time i set it up and make sure that it's it's doing what i want and get the lights and just the position i want them in and everything so here's what i do when i'm gonna when i'm trying to test my stuff out make sure it's there and this would really work well for self-portrait too um I get stuff set up like I, I put up a background that I'm gonna. I end up usually I replace the background in compositing later, but I get a, like a white background is what I prefer to use, and then uh, get my lights set up, kind of positioning where I think they need to go based on you know how I've used them in the past, and I know that they're not going to be exactly where I want them to be, uh, and I'm going to have to move them just a little to get the look that I want as I'm shooting. And then I uh, I get a light stand to stand in for me while I am getting everything set up. So, and that's to set focus. I want to set focus using the light stand. And then, um, and then I will go and I'll move the light stand out of the way and or just like barely move it and kind of tape an X on the floor of where it was, just to make sure that I know where. Well, actually, I do the X first. Put the lights down on top, so and then pull focus on the camera. That's right, and then I'll go back and uh, move the, the stand out of the way. And I, now I know if I stand on that X, that uh, the focus is going to be close enough that it's not going to be a problem, and it'll be uh, on my eyes so that I can have it work. And then and just use the ten second timer on the camera. Uh, I don't have well, I do have. I have a way to be able to trigger the camera remotely through the Canon wireless app on iOS device, but the, I don't. It, it's like even more work to set that up. <laughs> so it's not as easy as it should be. Uh, I wish yeah. they would improve that a little bit. It's so it, it literally is more work than it's worth. The 10 second timer is just fine. So now I can go back. I can hit the button. I know I have 10 seconds to get on my X smile, pose, look in the camera, go check out the photo. And it usually takes, you know, five or six tries before I'm happy with the lights and how I'm positioned and and uh, how I'm posed, all of that. But it's pretty simple to be able to make it work that way. And uh, it works out for me. Any Anything else you think you could add there, Brent? If you got a Sony like the A6400, connecting to your app is very simple. Lots you're easier, right. yeah. With the... Um, I've only, with my family portraits, I've only done with the Canon, and it, it takes like 10 extra steps. Well, it's an exaggeration, but there's there's more steps than it needs to be. Uh, it can be simpler, that's for sure. But no, you did really good just breaking it down. I'm all like, you know, get in the scene and <laughs> hit the button. <laughs> no, that was perfect. I, I think that was great. All right. 
Yeah, I, I think that's one of the biggest struggles is how do I get focus? If it's going to be just me, how yeah. on earth am I going to get focus? And you could try like really stopping things down to make the depth of field as big as you can get it. But it's still not the same as actually getting focus on the eye. So yeah. that is hard. And it's still not exact because, right. you know, the mic stand or sorry, the light stand that I'm using, uh, focusing on that is not the same as putting the focus right on that eye and then clicking the button to, to take the picture. Uh, but it's it's definitely closer than... Um, than stopping down and <laughs> trying to, to focus that way. Yeah, and that's one thing I wish, and listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, but in that Sony app too, if I were to tap my face in the app, it doesn't grab that as the focus point, and I wish it did. Because if I go to the screen on the camera and I tap where my face is going to be, then it can achieve focus. But I wish I had that right on the app itself to where I could say, nope, that's what you need to focus on. And it just does it. If you set it to uh, follow eye focus or whatever it's called in Sony, the focus, the eye focus thing, focus tracking. Yeah, for, I'll, I'll have to do it again because for some reason that just wasn't working when I had the app connected. Oh, when the app It connected. works when the app is not you. connected. So again, that not, might be an argument for the timer. If you can put that on yeah. that mode, use the timer and then walk in the scene, would it track your eye and just focus there? Yeah, good point. That that might work. Yeah. Because what I do now is I just say, well, I'm going to stand here, tap on the screen of the camera, and then I walk in, make sure I stand there, because it has the little selfie mode kind of idea where it flips up and I can see where I'm at. Sure. And then it's all good. But yeah, as, as far as um, having that eye control and then it, it'll just follow me, That I, I could see that working. I'll have to test that out. Yeah, that'd be good. We'll have to see if we can remember to follow up with that. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) All right. Questions six and seven. Let's hurry and wrap this up here. Computer hardware for Lightroom and Photoshop. This is from Bill Jamio. Jamio. Oh, gosh. We're bad with names. (laughs) Jamo is what I would would say that. But again. (sighs) Sorry, Bill. Hopefully we've covered it. (laughs) At least you had an easy first name and I I should (laughs) have just said Bill. <laughs> anyway, Bill, um, he said, I'm in the market for a new desktop for PS and LR. That's Photoshop and Lightroom. What's the latest advice on which components are most important and worth giving the extra dollars for? So I, I've seen a ton of, of people who are posting this in our Facebook group in the last two weeks. And so I've been giving exactly the same advice to all of them as I have extensive articles written over at phototacopodcast.com on this topic. And so you've, you've got your homework. You could go read all of that. So you can just go search in Photo Taco Podcast for computers, or um, and, and it'll tell you, like I have articles for the MacBook Pro, the Mac Mini, the iMac, and Windows desktop computers, all of that there. I've even got budget options if budget's a real concern for you and, and what kinds of things I would recommend for uh, people on a, a pretty strict budget. So uh, go check out those articles. Um, in general, just to give you like a very oversimplified, generic kind of thing, um, I would spend more money on CPU than anything else. I would definitely invest there more than anything. Uh, GPU does not matter nearly as much as it should. Even with all of the changes that they've made, Adobe's done with Lightroom to add GPU, it's still not as important as the CPU, not even close. And as much memory as you can get. Cores, the number of cores in the CPU, like between 6, 8, and higher, doesn't matter as much as the clock speed of the CPU. So the gigahertz rating is 
not the only thing that matters, but it's still more important than having like more than four cores in the processor for both of them. So very over generic, simplified, and a bunch of people just tuned out just now because it was <laughs> it was way too technical. But if you want that kind of advice, phototacopodcast.com and, and there's plenty of detailed information there on, on all of those decisions and what you have to do for that. Uh-uh. And I think it's important to recount, you know, this is specific to Photoshop and Lightroom. He asked specifically Absolutely. for that. Absolutely. That's right. There are, if it were something else, we would be giving different advice. That's but correct. this is where it's at for Photoshop and Lightroom. Yep. If video games are what you want, that's a different story. If it's video, like you're processing video, it's a different story yeah. for Photoshop and Lightroom. And usually the people are asking this question because they're trying to save money. They're like, okay, what do I actually need to be able to do Photoshop and Lightroom? So I tell you how you can, where's the money you should spend and where can you save? All right, last one, having a backup camera. This comes from Liam Maroney. I think I got that one. Yeah. I think I nailed that name. (laughs) He says, does it make sense to have a backup camera as an amateur landscape photographer? Should a second body be APS-C if you already shoot full frame? So this is perfect for you, um, Brent, to be able to answer this question. Um, A landscape photographer, how important is it for them to have a backup camera? So, boy, I'm going to straddle the fence because for the longest time, I would never have a backup camera. I would even, you know, when I traveled to Croatia or wherever the case might be, I would just have the one camera and I would risk it. And there was a time when I was doing a series of videos, though, down on the Oregon coast where I broke a camera and I was glad I had a backup camera. And that became hugely important. But, you know, that was also, I was, I knew I was doing these videos and I wanted to make sure that I, was able to complete the project. And so it kind of depends on how important it is for you to quote, complete the project. Now the quest, the second part of the question, should it be an APS-C if you already shoot full frame? If you have that option in your camera manufacturer where you can have the same lenses going cross for back and forth, it makes a whole amount of sense. Yes. To say, go ahead and get that slightly smaller body. And definitely usually it's a lighter body and less full expensive. Frame. <laughs> and if you can use those same, those same, uh, you know, if it's a Nikon, if it's a Canon, whatever the case is, and you can use the same lenses across, that's just the easiest way to make it work. Sony, obviously, uh, you know, it could be the same way. So, like for myself, I'm kind of in the transition, trying to transition over to the Sony system. It's going to take a while, but I still shoot primarily my Canon 5D4, but then I have that Sony A6400. So I am carrying you know, a double kit basically, but what I'm trying to do is not overlap my lenses, let's say. So like I mentioned, when I bought that uh, 70 to 350 on the Sony, that means the Canon 70 to 300 stays home. And so the only overlap I have is in those middle lenses. The wide angle has to be Canon. The telephoto has to be Sony. So that's how I'm currently doing it. I don't know that I could call that a backup camera though, because I definitely have some unique shots that i would miss out if one of those cameras <laughs> right. broke right yeah I, I so i don't i don't bring uh usually any kind of backup camera and i'm definitely fit in this category as an amateur landscape photographer that when i'm going on trips or something and and i i want to be able to have the option i i actually do bring two cameras with me um when i'm going on a on a a, a vacation with my family but only because my wife likes to shoot too so so it's not like it's for a backup camera it kind of ends up being that but it, sure. that wasn't the purpose of it. I, I'm bringing it so that my wife has a camera to shoot as well. And, uh, and so we're, we're not really treating it that way. But if it was just me 
and I was going on a quick landscape shoot. It wasn't like a, a big excursion to a, another state or a, a, another location where I'd planned to do landscape. Uh, I don't tr- usually bring a second camera. I just bring the one. And and really the thinking there is, oh, well, if, if something goes wrong, it goes wrong. It, that's fine. And then I'll, I'll do whatever I can with the phone uh, if, if that's a, a problem. But it's not usually that big of a deal for what I'm doing if it's a a smaller kind of activity. Like I, Oh, it's, it's close to sunset. I have a little bit of time. I'm going to run out, see if I can get something. I'm only going to take the one camera. So that's, that's how I approach it. And I also only run in that 5d4 with only one memory card too. So uh-huh. I'm really risking it there. Yeah. <laughs> just, just a little joke, I guess. So anyway, I, I guess it really comes down to like how much, how much, uh, can you spend and how important is it that you get the shot? when you're an amateur and are out there. So, and how much do you want to lug around? Because it just right, adds right. to your load too. Yeah. You know, we had a previous question about just the idea of lugging all this stuff around. If it prevents you from getting out and shooting, then it's, I would say it's the wrong thing to do. Uh, if you're going on the trip of your lifetime, uh, please, please it, do. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now it's worth renting a camera. If you don't have a second one, it's worth renting one to take it with you just Absolutely. to make sure. Because uh, you, you'd hate to have it happen that something goes wrong and and you are unable to shoot on the trip of your lifetime. That's not cool. <laughs> I would definitely make sure I'm prepared in that situation. So it's just risk, you know. What what, what do you want? How much risk do you want to take on your shoot, and and uh, how much can you afford? All right, doodads of the week. Let's finish up the wrap up this episode. I'm going to start off here with. Uh, my doodad is going to be inexpensive macro equipment. I talked about this just a little earlier. I've kind of got into that and just because I did a I did a photo taco episode with my friend Don Kamarechka, who is one of the world's best macro photographers. He has amazing images of the unseen world. He specializes kind of in that phase, in that space, not only in macro, but other unseen things. Uh, it just giving us a view into things that our eyes can't see. And it's really, really cool stuff. And so I, I, he was nice enough to come on the show with me. And we talked about water droplet refraction photography. So these are the kinds of images where you have uh, water droplets in the photo and they act as lenses showing you what's behind them inside the water droplets. So this is not compositing some image inside of the water droplet. This is like actually in camera capturing um, something cool like a flower inside the water droplet. And uh, you can go, I'll put a link in the show notes to the the podcast episode where we talk about it. We, we go through a few of his images and what did he do to get the images? What were the steps? We talk about the equipment you need, which is what it's the doodads of the week. And most of it is very inexpensive. He did, there are some lights that are a little bit more, but most of it is like, you know, under 10 bucks to, to get this stuff. And uh, specifically, I wanted to recommend extension tubes and they don't even have to be like electrical conducting extension tubes, which are a little bit more money. These can be just the completely dumb plastic extension tubes. That's what I used to give my give it a try. I followed the advice that Don gave in that episode and was able to get a, a really cool, it's not nearly as good as Don's stuff, but a really fun image um, of a single water droplet that showed like a sunflower inside of it, inside that water droplet in the background. And, uh, and I did it in like, you know, three hours. I'd never done macro before, never even tried it. And with the techniques he described, I actually didn't even have any of the equipment other than the extension tubes. I had bought those years ago because I wanted to try macro and, uh, and it was great. So really, really inexpensive. The, the biggest 
investment that you're going to have to make with this will be your time to figure out how to do all of this. And uh, But it's, it's so fun. And I learned a lot by doing it. So highly recommend it. You can go check out the podcast episode. But the doodad is extension tubes that can be the really cheapy kind. doesn't really matter a brand. They can be completely inexpensive and enable you to make almost any lens you've got into a macro lens. Really cool stuff. Brent, yep. what, what do you got? Good stuff. I have chosen this week the Wide Angle Photography book. That's the name of it, Wide Angle Photography, by Chris Marquardt. He's a podcaster as well. And uh, there's a link there, of course, uh, in the show notes, as, as you know, Jeff has a link for his uh, show for the other one too. But uh, the reason I chose this one is really about just trying to be uh, something to inspire people because I bought it pretty much purely for the inspiration just to say, you know, how does he look at it? How does he describe it? And what kind of shots can I be inspired by? Because I like Chris's work. He's got some some really good stuff. And, you know, how can I be inspired by that? So if you're ever interested or you think you might be interested in wide angle photography, I say check out the book and see, see what you can learn there. Excellent. Love it. Yeah, Chris is great. His podcast tips from the top floor is awesome. If yes. you are a photographer and haven't checked that out, you should you should go check out his his podcast. He he was nice enough to come on the show with me too in Photo Talk and we talked about uh scanning uh film, scan not film, uh negatives, scanning negatives. Nice. Yeah. So. I should I need to listen to that cuz I'm actually going to start that next week. I I have a a thing I'm going to uh scan some large format that I did in college. And uh, I'm just going to test it out and see how it goes. I'm going to do the wet scanning method. So, oh, yeah. and, and he, uh, this is to use your camera. So this is using like a you know DSLR oh, okay. or whatever to to take pictures of your negatives and then I see uh, invert them and, and get the the image. So it's really cool. Very, anyway, very cool. Chris Marquardt's great. I'm sure the book is awesome. I don't know about it, but it's it's probably really good. <laughs> Knowing Chris. All right, we're going to uh, close up the show here. Masterphotographypodcast.com is where, the, where you can find everything, the show notes we just talked about. Go and check those out. The Facebook group, Master Photography Podcast. There'll be a link in the show notes to the group. And remember, you do have to provide a name of a host to join. We uh, decline so many people asking to join the group because they don't fill that question in. And we it's really simple to know. You're not a listener. If you didn't fill that in, we're not letting you in. Uh, uh, you can check out my work, jsharmanphotos.com. My other podcast is phototacopodcast.com. And remember, you can search. I, I've worked really hard to make the search over there at phototacopodcast.com something very helpful. So if you have a question about anything technical, it's a really good chance I have a, a podcast on it. As you've talked, as we, as you can tell, we <laughs> through this episode we talked about, I have an episode on that in Photo Taco Podcast. So go check that out. And all the Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter links for me are also in the show notes. Brent, where can people find you? My main hub of activity is over at my website, which is just my name, brentbergherm.com. There you can find things like I've got some various resources on my resources page. I've got uh, the the one print course there. Uh, the workshops are mentioned. I do have, we mentioned earlier in this show, that idea of going to Chile for the for this eclipse. I have an idea written there, but I don't have the purchase link available because I'm still doing research on it. Uh, literally tomorrow when you guys listen to this, uh, or the first day this is released, the tomorrow for that is when I'm talking, I'm actually looking to partner with somebody and we are getting on the Skype and we're going to try and hash this business out and, and, and move this thing forward. So that's in process. Excellent. And, and then latitudephotographypodcast.com. That's the show notes for my podcast as well. And of course you can listen to that in 
various list, various players such as uh, Spotify and Pandora as well, and just a bunch of other places. So look it up. And then I'm on the YouTube and, and a little bit on uh, Instagram, so you can find me there too. Perfect. All right. We're going to end this now. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate all you listeners so much. And we'll see you again in another seven days. 